in the age of social media influencers, we're bombarded with calls to follow, yeah? Uh, I mean, not five minutes goes by before someone goes, subscribe, turn on your notifications, okay? Uh, keep up with us. We want to share our content with you. I mean, it's everywhere. It's big business these days. People make a lot of money. But besides the financial incentives, I mean, there are so many people vying for your attention, right? Because they want to have an influence over you, whether, it's, whether they want to push a certain diet on you or maybe an investing strategy or maybe a political ideology. There are so many options of people to follow. There are a lot of good ones, I think, and some rotten ones. And it's not uncommon, especially for those of my generation and younger, to be subscribed to a number of people, a number of podcasts, maybe YouTube personalities, maybe TikTok and, and Instagram influencers, right? But for the Christian, it's clear. The loudest call to follow comes from whom? It comes from Jesus, of course. I wasn't originally scheduled to preach this morning, Okay. So as earlier this week, as I was racking my brain trying to think of what, what is it do I want to preach on? Okay, I have freedom, people said. Anything I want, anything. I never get that. <laughs> and so I was wondering, well, what should I preach on? And for whatever reason, my mind kept coming back to the topic of discipleship, of following Jesus. Not entirely sure why, but you and I both know what happens when the word of God is preached. It accomplishes a work inside of us. I believe that'll happen this morning, and my prayer is that this message will be equal parts and encouragement to you who are faithful disciples, that'll be an admonition to the wayward, and that'll be an invitation to the lost. That's what I'm hoping that this morning, that this message will do for you and for us. At the center of what it means to be a Christian, then, is simply to be a disciple of Jesus, right? To follow Jesus. But following Jesus is a little bit more involved than following one of those social media influencers. Yes, there's just a little bit more at stake, and there's just a little bit more that Jesus demands of us. So let's start then by addressing what exactly it means to follow Jesus. I mean, what is he calling us to follow him to, and why should we listen? Jesus is calling us to something unique. He is not trying to push a diet on us. He's not trying to push an investing strategy or a political ideology on us. Jesus is calling us to follow him back into the presence of God. That is the call. That is the call of discipleship. Because when you go back to Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, what you find is that there was a spiritual catastrophe. Adam and Eve, the first humans, disobeyed the one command that God had given them. And through their disobedience, brought sin into the world. See, that sin separated them from God. It expelled them from the presence of God. And your sin and my sin separates us from the presence of God. Separates us, it expels us from the one who gives us life and the one who sustains our life. Major issue, major problem to say the least. And ever since that time, humans have been attempting to get back, if you will, to the Garden of Eden, to recreate that place where heaven and earth meet and in Genesis chapter 11, we come across a story where after, after this great flood that destroyed all life on earth, right, and except Noah's family, Scripture says, and, and they're rebuilding, 
there's this, uh, they, the, the people begin building a huge tower, which we think is probably a sort of ziggurat, okay, which is this uh, spiritual altar that you find, especially in, in Northern Africa, Southern Europe, you know, Middle East areas. But they're building this tower in an attempt to recreate Eden. The, their reasoning was, okay, we want to build something so tall that we reach up into the heavens, right? We, God says, no, we're not going to do that. He confuses the people's languages, and they're dispersed. But even today, we attempt to build our own towers of Babel, if you will. We attempt, we make our attempts at recreating Eden. Because, I mean, we look around us and we go, man, there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there is so much uh, dysfunction around us, and we want to recreate the beauty of Eden, the justice of Eden, the righteousness of Eden. And so we come up with these economic and social and and political ideologies hoping to create a utopia, right? You heard that word before, utopia. But invariably, every time those attempts fail, God says, no, because here's the thing. God says, listen, if you're going to make it back into my presence, it's going to be on my terms. It's going to have to be on my terms. We're not going to will and force our way there. God's going to have to open a way for us. Jesus shows up on the scene and he goes, I am the way. You want back into the presence of the Father? I can take you there. In fact, only I can take you there. No one comes to the Father except through, except through me. I believe that is the essence of the call to discipleship. It's to follow Jesus back to the future, <laughs> into the presence of God where we rightly belong, where he invites us and is waiting for us. And that's why he came, that's why Jesus came to earth, right? To proclaim this kingdom of God, this place, this reality where God will rule and reign over our lives once again. But like I said, Jesus' call to discipleship is unlike all the other ones in that he asks a lot more of us than what these other influencers do, Yes? There are many instances where Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple, but I think this one in particular sums it up nicely. Oh, look at that. Y'all had an incomplete slide. I apologize for that. Should have double-checked. The call of discipleship is. I hope you wrote it down. But see Matthew 16, 24 and 25. This for me sums up nicely Jesus' own words, what it means to be a disciple of his. He says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In other words, he's saying, I require that you give up everything. That's what it's gonna take. You want back into the presence of the Father? I can take you there, but you're gonna need a new body because this one's not gonna fly, okay? You're going to need a new look. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take everything. And so through his short ministry in the Middle East, a couple of thousand years ago, he not only taught us but also modeled for us what that kind of life looks like. He showed us. He didn't just tell us. He showed us what it looks like. So then this section, if you will, is going to be the cost of discipleship. This is what it's going to cost you. First is this. It's going to require a sort of dethroning if you will. <clears throat> this denial of self requires that we first recognize that we are not sovereign. 
and for us to remove ourselves, for us to give up our right, our perceived right at directing our own lives. No one's going to tell me what to do. <clears throat> Wrong. If you're a Christian, yeah, Jesus tells us what to do. He is the king. He sits on the throne. He tells us what to do. See, I think that we have to see Jesus in the same way that his apostles did. There was this one instance where uh, a rich young man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus goes, well, you know, have you kept all the commandments? He goes, yes, ever since I was a, ever, ever since I was a child, Jesus, I've kept the commandments. And he goes, uh, Jesus sees that he's really wealthy and he goes, you know what? Go give up everything you have. That he wasn't willing to do. And so he turns away from Jesus, he goes away, and Jesus looks at his disciples, and he goes, do you guys want to leave too? <laughs> and Peter says something so profound. He goes, Lord, where? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, I mean, where else are we going to go? You've got it. You're the one. See, the apostles didn't always understand what Jesus was teaching, what he was doing, what the meaning of all of that stuff was, but they knew, they understood enough to know that there was something different about Jesus. They understood enough to know that Jesus truly had words of eternal life, and they knew that they'd, they'd rather not be anywhere else. I think we have to see Jesus in the same way. And that metaphor of dethroning yourself, removing yourself from the throne may not work for you, Okay. Maybe for you, it's the Jesus take the wheel, okay? Whatever metaphor you want to use, okay? Whatever image to you says, it's not about me anymore, it's all about him now, okay? Whatever image that is, take a hold of it, burn it into your memory, and never let yourself forget it. Because once we do that, what Jesus calls us to do, which is to deny ourselves and to take up our cross, to deny our fleshly impulses, our, those desires that cause us to sin and rebel against God, all of that becomes a whole lot simpler. It doesn't become easier. It doesn't become easier, but it becomes simpler. You don't have to try and figure out anymore, well, is this good, is this bad? He tells us. He tells us the, the way. It's now simple to follow him. So then we take up the cross and we follow him every day of our lives. We follow where the master goes. What he does, we do. When he speaks, we speak. The way he loves, we love. But this kind of loyalty to Jesus sometimes may cause us to abandon love for uh, some of our close ones. Okay? Some of you had to give up your affections, if you will, for uh, a greater affection of Christ. There's this Latin term called ordo amoris. Okay? I just learned this a few days ago as I was prepping for the sermon. Okay? Ordo amoris. The idea is, what it means is, the right order of affections, right? It's the proper ordering of your affections. And the idea here is that Jesus must top that list of your affections, and there shouldn't even be a close second, really. Jesus says in one occasion, he goes, if you want to follow me, you've got to, you, you're going to have to hate your family, okay? Hate your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad. And you go, Hate? I think what he's saying is that, 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 you know, sometimes we talk about this as, well, I love God, and then I love my family, and then I love my dog, and I love hamburgers. <laughs> and it somewhat cheapens sometimes, but, but, but Christ has to be so far and away our first love. That's what it's going to take to be his disciple. There's this, in Mexico City, one of the first people that I studied the gospel with, that obeyed the gospel. Her name was Mayra. 
And uh, she came to us as, a, as one of our English students. And here's the story of Maida. When she was three years old, her family, uh, for lack of a better word, left her with her aunt and unmarried uncle, okay, uh, brother, sister, right? They, they never married anyone else, of course, and her parents left her with them. Don't know all the circumstances surrounding that. They had another four kids, and they lived in the same city. And here is Maida being raised by her uncle and by her aunt, whom for her, they were her mom and dad, and they were all Catholic. And so when Myra is studying the gospel, when she's studying the word of God with us, and, and we're presenting her the gospel message, and she realizes, okay, I've got to make a decision here. It took her three months, okay, after she got to the point where she knew what she needed to do. Three months. Why? Her affections. Jesus wasn't top yet. And she goes to me, how, how am I supposed to turn my back on the people who raised me? Princeton, you tell me that. I don't really have an answer to that. That's going to be something you're going to have to figure out. We walked with her through that. And guess what she did? Three months later, she said, okay, I'm going to do it. And she put on Christ in baptism. It was so incredibly difficult for her. This stuff is easy said, isn't it? Oh, yeah, love Jesus more than anything else. She, they were the only family she had, and she felt she'd be turning her back on them, disrespecting them, dishonoring them. But she took a leap of faith and did it anyway. Not long after that, her mama, her aunt, starts showing up to church. And Gerardo and Carola are missionaries in Mexico City, followed up with her. Don't know what came of it. I, I don't think she's a Christian yet, but, but a door opened there. We don't know. But ordo amoris is this idea that Jesus is going to come first. If any of my relationships stand in the way of my affection for Jesus, the call of discipleship says I must love Jesus more. And finally, as you follow Jesus so closely, uh, there may be trouble that comes your way. First <laughs> Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter will say, Hey, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you when persecution comes your way. Jesus said these words. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You know what he's saying there? He goes, Guys, they called me the devil. How do you think they're going to treat you? What expectations do you have of this world when they look at God incarnate and call him the devil? How exactly do you expect to be treated? So don't be surprised when you encounter hard times, when you are persecuted for your faith. It's how they treated me. <laughs> this is all a lot, yeah? I mean, it's a lot to take in. Jesus then is requiring this complete denial of ourselves, our thoughts, our affections, our ambitions, our plans, our loved ones, even our own life, our own body. He says, give it all up. That's requiring a lot. That is the cost of discipleship. But in the same way that he requires a lot of you and a lot of me, he promises a lot. He promises things that nobody else comes even close to offering us. 
If the cost of discipleship is so high, then the rewards are higher. And we'll see that here in a second. He says, yes, you're going to be persecuted. Yes, you're going to share in my suffering with me. But that's not all. It doesn't end there. Because in the same way that you'll share in my suffering with me, you will share in my glory with me. Jesus, yes, ultimately he was killed. But did he stay in the tomb where they laid him? No, he did not. By the power of God, he was raised from death and given a transformed body. In the same way, you and I will receive a glorified, a transformed body that will no longer be subject to the corruption of this world. Right? You can say, bide your aging, failing body. I don't know if that means like there will be some sculpting happening and stuff, but I would like for a little bit of this gut to go away. Okay? I don't know if that will happen, but I know that when I go to the doctor, you know, I'm going to not have to worry about cholesterol and things like that. Yes? I'm looking forward to that. But Jesus is saying, guys, there is an there is amazing, glorious future that awaits you. So, so don't look at this persecution and go, oh, man, that's hard. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But what comes afterwards is glorious, is glorious. I will take you there. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I love this quote from The Great Divorce. He says, they say of some temporary suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Have you ever thought or felt that? In the face of tragedy, in the face of pain, you go, nothing good can come of this. Ever thought that? He says, they say that not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. It is Romans 8.28, isn't it? That God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That is what we hope for. That is what we hang our hat on. But not only will we share in this glory with him, we'll receive back, Jesus says, a hundred times what we Look at this from Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands, right, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. There it is again, okay? And in the age to come, eternal life. I think he's saying, whatever you feel like you have had to give up for me, Maida, <laughs> Princeton, Tyler, whatever you feel like you've had to give up for me, you'll see quickly that it doesn't even show up on the chart when you see what you receive in return. I think our missionaries especially get this really quickly, sort of intuitively, because uh, often they have to give up everything to go where they are, right? They have to give up their, uh, their family, their career, their entire way of life in one place, they have to give it up. But soon they begin seeing what? That whatever they've given up, they receive a hundredfold that in service of the kingdom. I saw that firsthand. I remember when I went to Leon as an AIM student, thinking, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to serve them. Psh, please. Okay. Whatever I did for them, they did a hundred times more back for me. I think that's reality of being a disciple of Christ, of being a part of this kingdom that Christ ushered in. That's the beauty of it. And that's what awaits you and what awaits me. Whatever you've given up, whether it's family, whether it's your possessions, whether it's your ambitions and plans, whatever, I think Jesus is saying, you're not going to be disappointed with what you get back, 
with what you get in return. I've said basically everything I want to say, but there's one thing I haven't said yet. And I think any discussion of discipleship will be incomplete without it. And that's repentance. Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, these are the first words we see of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. For those of you that don't know what repent means, simply means change your ways, okay? Not a little minor trim around the edges, no. Complete change, a 180, okay? Turn around completely, repent. And a few weeks ago, when I was preaching on submission, I don't know if you remember that or maybe fell asleep, I wouldn't blame you, okay? Um, like submission, this is another one of those dirty words in our culture, okay? Repentance, okay? Repentance. We don't like that, okay? If, if we even use that word, right? We don't like it. Why? Well, because it implies that I'm doing something wrong. And how dare you? How dare you? Because, yeah, I think as a culture, we've bought into a few lies, okay? Let me list a few of them. I am the standard for what is good. I determine what is good. I determine what is right. I discern right and wrong. Does that sound familiar? Something with Adam and Eve and something, something. The serpent saying, oh, hey, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. It wasn't enough to trust God to determine that. No, 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 now we have to do it. I think we've bought into that lie wholesale as a culture. Whatever I choose to do is my business. You got no business saying anything about it. Actually, if you're going to say something about it, you're going to have to either affirm it or actually go one step further and celebrate it with me. That's all you're allowed to say. And if you speak out against, against my beliefs in any way, my actions in any way, you're probably just full of hatred. Okay? You're probably just full of hatred and, and, and bigotry. Lies. Okay? Lies lies we believe because here's the truth um, God sets the standard for what is good that's what we believe that's what disciples of Christ believe if you're a Christian you believe that it is God who determines what is good what is evil what is right what is wrong and that my thoughts my speech my actions must conform to his standard but here really I think is where the rubber meets the road when my acts and thoughts and, 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 and speech don't conform to that standard, I do not insist on the message being contorted to fit my preferences. Rather, I conform myself to the message. See it? That's repentance. And it requires humility. <coughs> if repentance is not a part of your everyday life, you are fooling yourself into thinking you're a disciple of Jesus. There is no such thing as loving Jesus and not living a life of repentance. There's simply no such thing. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus. This, you, know, you may be thinking, well, you know, I can love Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, Jesus is my best friend. But, you know, I'm not really interested in all that denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him every day, and ugh, it doesn't work that way. 
Repentance is at the heart of the life of a disciple of Jesus. And if it's not a part of your life as a disciple of Jesus, please repent before it's too late. There is no such thing as loving Jesus and not living in repentance. So then, Jesus calls us to follow him back into the presence of God. And listen, most of you in here are doing a fantastic job. You're being faithful, okay? That walk gets really difficult sometimes, and my encouragement to you is simply to hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize, like the Apostle Paul did. Like he said, listen, I set my, I set my vision, I set my sights on what? The prize that awaits me, okay? Nothing's going to shake me off of my, of my track, right? I'm not going to get distracted here. That's my encouragement to you. Keep your eyes on the prize, and when the going does get tough, as it often does, persevere. That's all I got for you. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Persevere. That's what John tells us to do. Remain faithful to the end. Some of you may have gone wayward. Maybe you've lulled yourself into thinking, well, you know, I love Jesus and we're all good. But really, you're not living a life of repentant discipleship. Repent before it's too late and turn back to the way. Come back into the fold. And maybe there are some of you who have not, uh, it's going to be a little cheeky here, but, but, but some of you who've not hit subscribe to Jesus yet, okay? I know that's corny, okay? Forgive me for it, okay? We want to invite you to do that today. We want you to repent of your sins and of your self-worship and see Christ as Lord. Put your trust in Him to take you back into the presence of God. So whatever it is that you're needing this morning and whatever it is that we as a church body can help you do, please come let one of us know as we stand, as we sing.